dial star 611 for assistance, as your cellular phone is not authorized for use at this time. Pour de l'assistance, veuillez composer étoile 611. Vous n'avez pas le... Hello, podcast listener. Everything around you that you call life was made by people that were no smarter than you. And you can change it. You can influence it. You can build your own things that other people can use. The App Guy Podcasts, straight from your host, Paul the App Guy, sharing his app entrepreneur journey with you for your enjoyment. And now, Paul the App Guy. Okay, welcome to the App Guy Podcast. My name is Paul Kemp. I'm the founder of One Mob, and I'm just thrilled uh, this week to introduce my guest. Uh, his name is Aaron Nicholson. And he is an app developer, and we're going to learn a lot from Aaron because he's got a fantastic portfolio that he's been involved with. Uh, he's first of all an author, uh, co-author of a book called Starting an iPhone Application, which is very relevant to us app developers. And he also has, has been involved in founding a company called The Code Builders. So if you check them out at thecobuilders.com, you'll see uh, the portfolio that Aaron's been involved with, and it is just a phenomenal portfolio. Uh, he's been involved with apps that uh, relate to some of the big hits in the, in the film world, such as Rush, which is one of my all-time favorite films, and uh, Riddick and Tron, and other fantastic projects that Aaron's been involved with. So it's just a little flavor of you, Aaron, but perhaps you can tell us about yourself, tell us about your app journey, and give us a, a, a little taste of, you know, the Aaron Nicholson. The Aaron Nicholson. Wow. I get to be the one. Um, <laughs> well, uh, the, the book is actually called Starting an iPhone Application Business for Dummies. It's on the Dummies series. Um, and when I was asked to write that book, I had been uh, the creative director for an iPhone um, iOS development company um, called Perceptive Development. And they had the distinction of being the first official hardware development company for the, uh, for the platform. And they also built some apps. And during that time, I, I designed a few apps for them. Uh, probably the most memorable to me was um, one for uh, an, a series of O'Reilly books called Mind Hacks. And um, one of the principals of that company was asked to write the book, and he had just gotten done writing a number of technical books and has said his wife would kill him if he took on another book project. So he actually asked me to, to take his lead author spot on that book. And what I told him was, well, that's great, but I've never started an iPhone application business, um, and I haven't even written an iPhone app, so why do you guys want me to write this book? And basically they, they had faith in me um, and um, that I could research it and do interviews with people and, and learn enough about the trade to write a book about it, which I did. Um, I ended up writing about half of the book. Uh, Damien Stolarts was that uh, gentleman who asked me to kind of take over and he assisted myself and Joel Elad in the book and he's listed as the third author on there. And... It actually turned out pretty good. We still have a four-star uh, rating on Amazon and lots of nice reviews, and apparently people have gotten a lot out of it. Um, we, you know, spent a lot of time um, interviewing uh, app developers and entrepreneurs, and we feature some of them in the book. And we really just sought out to kind of lay out a a general 
uh, overview of the various elements of starting a business um, that also pertain to to that business. Um, and you know, it turned out pretty well. But at that time, um, I didn't I didn't really get into app development myself because I still made most of my living um, making interactive media properties for for entertainment companies and, and brands and stuff. And that just kept kind of going. So I didn't, I didn't step over into app development at that time. And it wasn't until recently uh, when my company, The Code Builders, was asked to develop an app for uh, the Hangover 3 movie um, that, uh, that I got into. And I actually, um, I actually took on the Android side of that myself. And my director of technology, John, took on the iPhone side of it. We each, we each learned each of those platforms for the first time to, to pull off that app. So we kind of joke that it was, um, you know, a, uh, a trial by fire. <laughs> Pretty decent uh, project to get handed on your first app. But um, I really, you know, enjoyed the process of building an app and, and learned that, you know, my background in inter- interactive media and flash and object-oriented programming translated really well. So very happy to be in that world now. That's a great introduction. Thanks very much for sharing that with us because certainly it must be an inspiration to people listening to hear you say that you hadn't written a book before, you hadn't built an iPhone application, but you just did it. Someone came to you and asked you to kind of co-author this uh, book, starting an iPhone application business, and, and you just did it uh, without thinking too much. And, and it's obviously led to the kind of success that you've had and the recognition that you've had in the app world. Um, but before we get into a lot of the stuff, is I always ask, is there anything that drives you, any success mantra that you wake up and think of that you could share with us? You know, I think it kind of ties in with what you just said of um, just doing it. And, you know, the first part of that was somebody came to me and asked me to do it. And then I just did it. And for, for me, and I think for most people, it is much easier to, to take something on when you've got someone on the other side needing it or wanting it done. And I think that can be a handicap and it and you can also turn it to your advantage. Like for example, if you, you want to be an entrepreneur and start something completely from scratch, like for example, you have an idea for an app, um, but you don't necessarily have anybody else like a company, you know, paying you money and demanding to get their product for their money on the other end. Um, creating that demand, that I think can be a significant difficulty that is easy to overlook uh, in, in contrast to, you know, if somebody comes to you and, and really, you know, wants that product from you, it, it can create structure for you and light a fire under you in a way that's it's hard to do for yourself. So I think, but I think to have success in, in the areas where you really want success, oftentimes it's necessary to light that fire for yourself. So I think, you know, one element of it is just recognizing that as, as being the case and finding ways to keep uh, putting yourself in the position to do what you're wanting to be doing. And then also possibly finding other stakeholders, partners, people, you know, you know, success gurus and stuff talk about this as accountability partners or what have you, but finding a way to, to, artificially create that other person on the other side waiting for you to get finished with your cool thing, um, I think can be a really helpful and important um, piece of the puzzle. You see, there's 
a lot of people would say that we are truly successful when we learn from our failures and our mistakes. And before we get into some of the great successes you've had and working with these terrific brands and films, perhaps you can share with us just when you had a failure in your life uh, with regards to app development and what did you learn from that? Oh, wow. I'm glad you said in regards to app development, otherwise we'd be here for a year and a half. (laughs) (laughs) As I read the scroll of my (laughs) lengthy uh, failures. Uh, Not failures, learning learning experiences. My biggest failure in app development was not starting to write apps when I started writing this book. I just wake up and kick myself about it, to be honest with you. (laughs) Why didn't I start an iPhone application business at that time? It boggles my mind, you know, and but that kind of goes back to that thing of having someone else on the other end. Well, I was getting calls from, you know, different companies that I worked for asking me to do other things. And I just kept doing that. Um, So in the app development world, really, I think that is my my greatest failure is not having started developing stuff until now. It's funny you should say that, Aaron, because I've spoken to a few app developers and I think there's a common thread uh, between all of us, which is that we, we've all seen the success of the iPhone and grown up with the iPhone's popularity you know, over the last five or six years. And many of us regret that we didn't think of uh, doing those uh, silly apps <laughs> at the start, you know, things like a farting app, you know, Angry Birds or anything like that. And, and, and there is an element of disappointment, I think, that sits with all of us um, because, you know, we've... We, Many of us probably did miss the the big wave of success that the early apps had, and it's a lot harder now given the amount of um, competition that's that's coming on board and flooding into the app market. But um, you have got a lot of successes now. You know, you just read off the the, um, the fact that you're working on these uh, films, Hangover Three, Rush, Riddick. I mean, they're an envy for many of us. How did you come about uh, attracting those clients and, and what sort of suggestions would you have for anyone trying to to get such top clients? Well, there's two components that, I, that really come to mind for me. Um, one was kind of accidental and the other one was not accidental. It, it had to do with, um, it might sound a little cliche, but putting much more effort into my early projects than I was being compensated for or was even necessary. And I did that mainly from just the point of view of the excitement of getting started in the world of, of building at that time, you know, interactive web properties. Um, but also just trying to, you know, over deliver so that I could kind of kickstart my career and also just enjoying the artistry of it. So, you know, my first uh, web project, I, I, you know, started, you know, mentioning to people that I was starting to do this after I'd built my own website and gotten some decent um, positive feedback on it. And somebody's, you know, ex-boyfriend had a soccer club and they wanted a website for their soccer club. Well, I built them the most fantabulous, you know, animated, very artistic soccer club website, you know, ever seen on the face of the earth i'm sure and then that led to another soccer club and i took these guys out and and shot videos of them doing these crazy soccer tricks where they would flip upside down and i painstakingly animated each one of those with 
with a, a silhouette and created these silhouette animations. And so then that led to, you know, being offered um, to, to build a, a site for a um, architectural development in downtown LA. And I just went to the nines. I interviewed the businesses all around there. I, I hired photographers and took photography myself um, created, you know, beautiful animations, hired a voiceover actress and had her voice over the whole site. This was in the days of flash sites being really prevalent. And that was a portfolio item that a friend of mine submitted to a staffing agent in Los Angeles. And there's numerous of these staffing agencies that handle creative talent for ad agencies. And they thought it was good enough to represent to the ad agencies. And so that was my doorway into working at these companies that, that do have these clients. Um, and so I started, you know, going there and, and working for them as a developer. So I guess it was kind of accident because it was really a friend who even introduced me to the agency, but it kind of was one of those, you, you create your own uh, luck kind of scenarios. And then since then, I continued to just be a very stalwart, diligent um and artistic, you know, asset for those companies. I never stopped until the job was done. I never bailed out on a job. Um, I always, you know, kept learning so that I could pull off whatever the technical requirements of the jobs were. I showed up and just had a great work ethic. And over a period of time, you know, I developed some allies in that field and some relationships. And so when I went to start the Code Builders, I was able to rely on those. Um, and then, you know, some of those clients that we had as the code builders referred me directly to their, you know, direct clients like Showtime and Paramount and so forth. Um, so it really is just that work ethic, continual aesthetics moving forward, and then trying to put yourself in a position to, to be recognized. And, you know, if people do want to get into that space, you know, working on, you know, adware essentially, in various ways, whether it's web or apps or what have you. Um, the venue for that really is through advertising and interactive agencies in L.A. and New York. You know, just, just hone your, your skills and your aesthetics and your delivery. Um, and um, that's, you know, that's who's hiring for those kinds of positions. So, so what I've learned from that is that, firstly putting a lot of effort in the early stages of a project is, is absolutely vital to getting recognition and building up a brand for not only a company that you may set up, but your brand for yourself. And uh, also a lot of hard work that goes into it and not necessarily doing it for the money, uh, but doing it for the, the love of what you're doing and the, the fact that you're actually working towards building up something positive here. And, and also the networking effect as well. And networking is something I hear time and time again that's incredibly important, which I think a lot of app developers getting into app development may kind of miss networking because you know they're sitting on a PC or a Mac and um, doing coding and, and don't think about getting out and uh, actually meeting the people that can change that. Well, there's, there's a couple of things that I might say with regard to what you just said there. I, I wouldn't recommend that people don't do it for the money. Um, I think to be a professional in any field, you know, part of that is making money at what you're doing. I, I think 
a little bit more accurately to what I'm trying to say is over-deliver. And, and think about delivering this project in order to impress for the next project or to, to build your skill set for the next thing you might do. Um, that would be maybe more to the point of what I would say on that particular piece. And then, um, and then as far as the networking goes, yeah, I agree. And, and I think, uh, part of that also is, is finding other professionals out there who they're making their living on, you know, utilizing the services of people like yourself. So don't just network with other developers, network with designers who need the help of developers, or if you're a designer, vice versa, network with project managers, uh, also staffing agents, you know, they sometimes can be seen as sharks, but, um, there are some really good ones out there and, you know, it's their, their bread and butter is to find jobs for you. Um, so if you, you know, create that really nice portfolio, a few pieces of things that you think are really stellar, you know, get them in the hands of a staffing agent because even if you don't want to use staffing agents over the long haul because they, they do take, you know, a chunk of the, the money that the companies are paying you, um, they'll, they'll get you in the door, you know. And I think a third piece of it is mentors. You know, I really lucked out because one of my best friends happened to be a pretty major um, developer, a Java developer, and, and had really, you know, dived into that years before I got started, and he was able to, to mentor me along. Um, I'm actually talking with some people right now, and we're, we're thinking about creating a mentorship organization. Um, you guys can stay in touch with me if you want to hear more about it at Aaron at thecodebuilders.com. But I think those three, those things together, um, you know, can create a really dynamic combination. And how would you go about advising people to get in, stuck into networking? Are there any events that you would recommend or any online resources perhaps for helping uh, people to network? Well, I am a recent uh, fan of LinkedIn. Um, I just I had a profile in there for years and just kind of by accident by people finding me and spamming me with their LinkedIn requests. I ended up with a network on there and I've recently started to use it. And it can be a little intimidating to reach out to someone on LinkedIn because it really is, you know, it's just their picture and some text and they've said, you know, they've clicked yes, they'll connect with you. Um, but I've had some really good um, interactions through that recently. In fact, I think you and I might have met on LinkedIn. Um, and so it, it is a good conversation starter. And my recommendation, and maybe this is just kind of how I'm wired, is to try to get on the phone with somebody as soon as you can. Because if somebody won't talk to you on the phone, they're probably not going to be a real connection for you. And some people will ignore your requests and so forth. Um, but I think that's a really great shortcut to finding people that actually have shared interests or compatible interests um, to you. Um, you know, I think that would be a good one. So how, how do you, so Aaron, how, let's, let's dig into this because this, this could be useful to, to people trying to get, get, you know, their first break. And how do you use LinkedIn specifically? Do, do you 
for example, do you pay for a premium account? Does that allow you in messaging and approaching others? What I have done in the past, I don't think has worked particularly successfully, is, is joined groups and then directly contacted people within the group that I may think could want my services. But how do you use LinkedIn? Yeah, I, I think it's probably different for someone just trying to get started. Um, I actually didn't really have that experience with LinkedIn myself because kind of by accident, I ended up with a network of people that were related to me through the various techniques that LinkedIn uses to get people to add each other. Um, So I wasn't kind of starting out fresh with no network. Um, But, and then recently I did do a paid subscription to get some more search capabilities, but I don't think that's necessary at all at first. I guess what I would recommend is just um, reaching out to people who you believe would be helped by what you offer. Not necessarily the people that you think can help you. I I would really recommend reaching out to people who you believe you can help. And then just, you know, casually offering to them, saying, you know, hey, I noticed your LinkedIn profile, you're the such and such director of this department, whatever relates to, you know, this, this person that you've found you think you can help. And you say, look, I've been writing apps for X number of months or years, and um, I think I might be able to help you get your app development done. Would you be interested in talking? You know, simple as that. I might not even give them any links. It's just imagine you saw someone across the room at a gathering of all people who, you know, were related to, to what you do, and you just wanted to talk to them. You just go up and say, hey, this is, this is what I do. Um, do you want to talk about it? That, that's, for me, the best approach because if you start throwing people your resumes and links and everything, then it pretty quickly becomes a sales pitch even if you don't want it to. And, and I think the area of the industry that I've been operating in, um, people can pretty, professionals in this industry can pretty rapidly figure out where you fit in the food chain and, and what your capabilities are. Um, the, the main thing to kind of get started with them is just to open up the conversation and just be frank. Look, you know, I think I might be able to help you in this area. Uh, would you like to talk about it? It's that simple. You're not wasting their time. You're not being deceptive and you're making them an offer of help, which I think you know, some people will just ignore that, but there are other, there are other people, if you just kind of keep persisting, that will at least want to talk to you, you know, and if, if you're not, you know, if what you're offering doesn't really fit what they need, they may be able to, to refer you into another, another area. It's interesting because you mentioned at the start that you, you didn't really use LinkedIn. It was something that was, was kind of in the, on the sidelines, but because of your portfolio and people approaching you via LinkedIn, you became uh, more established and then you suddenly had this large network which you've started using. But the persistency is is quite hard, I guess, because it it takes a lot of commitment to kind of uh, use LinkedIn. Do you outsource any of that? Are you using any services that that perhaps stay on top of your LinkedIn profile? I'm not that hardcore. Um, (laughs) And you know, just my personality style, the, the way that I have come to, you know, operate with things like promoting myself and what I've found works 
doesn't really open the door to that so much. Um, you, you know, it, every person that's going to hire you is, is a person. And that, that sounds <laughs> ridiculously simple, but you know, when we talk about companies like, you know, like, you know, I don't know, General Motors or something, and you think, oh my gosh, I got hired by General Motors to build an app for their car. I'm just making this up. Well, you actually did not get hired by General Motors. You got hired by Suzanne Smith, or whatever her name is, who happens to also have been hired by General Motors. You did not get hired by General Motors. You got hired by Suzanne. And she hired you because of, you know, you were, you were a great fit or the best fit she could find to help her fill her need to do her job. And when she moves on from General Motors, if you've created a good rapport with her and a nice relationship, you know, she might be at uh, General Foods or something, another company. And then once again, Suzanne will hire you <laughs> under the guise of the company, you know, your contract will be with the company, but it's really her. And so to me, it's, you know, the digital world, because it's become so pervasive, it's ever more evident to me, it's pretty much the same as the physical world in terms of communications. We're just communicating through these devices, but it's the same kind of decorum. I mean, I, I wouldn't hire someone to go, um, well, I might, you know, I might hire someone as a salesperson to go and, and meet people at parties and stuff, but that's just a very different communication style than if I show up and introduce myself. So it really depends on what you're all about. But I, I think for people getting started, outsourcing any of that stuff would be kind of like trying to outsource yourself in a way. Because it's it's you that that these people are going to want to work with or not want to work with. You know, and that's the interesting thing. Given this is app development, uh, uh, you know, people have, I guess, have come into this with the the view that they can write an app and perhaps that becomes successful, and they don't have to do any of that hard stuff, such as selling yourself as a brand and marketing yourself. It is hard. <laughs> it is. I mean, it's hard to get to switch gears and and, and get yourself into that mode. You know. Uh, but what I found is it, it, once you get over the inertia of it, you can actually generate some fun by just meeting new people, you know, and I think in investing in engaging in the fun of that and really getting to know them and letting them get to know you, you know, kind of can reverse the, the fear factor a little bit. So, so let's look at how you market your portfolio then because you've got such a, a fantastic array of projects that you've been involved with and you know just reading through the list uh, I mean Hangover 3, Rush, Tron, Riddick uh, these are big names uh, how do you promote your portfolio is it through your website um, we've mentioned LinkedIn I guess but how do people find you? You know I can't really be an expert on promoting because it's an area where I've struggled as well. Um, most of my portfolio does come from the momentum that I gathered as a freelancer in the ad world in LA and referrals out of that. Um, and also, you know, I have, I have hired outside sales organizations, you know, I've worked with staffing agents to not place me as a freelancer, but to 
create a partnership between my business and another business. Um, I have, you know, I've, I have reached out to people on LinkedIn who I thought might be, you know, uh, in a position where they could use what we do. Um, and, you know, developed relationships that way. But everything really does boil back down to relationships for me. It's, it's, you know, I personally haven't mastered um, real straight up marketing, which is, you know, reaching out and, and or creating ads or getting to people who, who you previously have no connection with and, you know, getting them interested in, in buying what you're doing. I think partially because we offer a higher end service, it's it's not a bargain service. It's it's um, not cheap, and it's designed for companies that really can't afford to have to do something twice, because usually there isn't time. <laughs> it's you know up against an ad deadline, and so they need people who can execute at the the top level the first time. Um, but also, I think it's partly because just people still like to work with people who they know or who someone they know knows, you know, at every, you know, level of the economy. I think that that's, that bears, bears out. So I think it kind of maybe kind of boils back down to how I started my career. If people want to pursue something uh, in the same direction as how my career got going, which is just um, talk to everybody, you know, and let them know you're doing this. Show them what you're doing. Um, you know, my very first project, I asked a friend if I could build her website for free, you know. Um, and then I was hired after that. Um, and you know, I guess I would maybe kind of replace the word networking with just relationship building. Just, you know, keep showing your stuff to people. Keep um, building more cool stuff and keep looking for new people to show your stuff to and offer your help to that need it at, you know, and, and maybe try to continue to find people at the kind of a, a newer level or a higher level of, of, you know, business or operating than, than what you've been doing. That's really the only advice I can give. Yeah. It does seem to come back to the track record and building up a, a track record and certainly your early projects are, something to really focus on but, uh, which is ironic because the early projects are the ones that you you haven't got the experience um, and the training and the, the depth of knowledge that you do when you you end up building several apps and you perhaps have a better understanding of how it works well I mean you, you don't have to tell anybody about your first project you know <laughs> the last the last project you did is always the most important one and I think you can replace some of the experience with gusto I mean I, I really do. I mean, there's a learning curve to, to getting into software, but once you can start to operate with it, um, just putting in more effort and more vision and sticking it through until it looks how you really want it to look, I think can substitute for, for a lot of that experience. And one other piece that I might mention that helped me um, that's kind of an X factor is that I totally blindly lucked into an area that happened to be really booming and there weren't enough people doing what I did to fulfill the need. And that was just blind luck. I had no idea that that was going to be the case. And over the course of the last 10 years, I've seen that wax and wane, you know? So I guess for anybody starting out, I would say, look for the, the thing on 
not totally out there on the horizon, but the thing that people want to have now that there aren't enough people to fulfill on, you know, and recently that was iPhone development. And I think now what I've learned from actually talking to some people who I met on LinkedIn is that that's still the case, but it may be that, you know, companies want to hire iPhone developers in-house now and they're having trouble finding people who are willing to work in-house. Um, so that may be an angle. There's also new technologies. Um, the Oculus Rift is coming out soon, the 3D gaming platform, and there's going to be, you know, need for people to develop for that. That's completely different, you know, it's 3D gaming. But, you know, there's there's always a leading edge on technology. And if you're smart enough to learn iPhone development, you're really smart enough to learn any of it. So just look, what what is happening now? Where is there not enough you know, people doing this thing. And, and you know, that might sound kind of calculating, but the ability to make a living on this and propel yourself forward to doing new projects really is going to be fundamental to your career. What was, so what was originally holding you back uh, from becoming an app developer, Aaron? Do you, do you remember? I mean, you've spoken about the book and that you wrote the book, but didn't, you know, it took a while to develop your first app. What, what was initially holding you back? Well, it was two things. I just kept getting hired. I, I would say three. Uh, I kept getting hired for the thing I was already doing, which was uh, interactive media. I had designs on other totally disrelated career ambitions, so I wasn't really interested in investing in uh, app development. And I was, quite frankly, kind of intimidated by it. And now that I'm getting into development, I'm kicking myself over that, being intimidated by it. But and I think that one kind of unpacks into some different things too, which is it's really vital to find good learning resources that are not far beyond where you are now and then build up from there. And I think if you can find those, you can pretty much learn, learn anything. Um, so what are, what are some of those resources? My favorite all-time resource that actually started my career is lynda.com. 25 bucks a month and... The, the teachers on lynda.com are phenomenal, Particular Simon, uh, particularly Simon Allardyce, who teaches the uh, Objective C Essentials and other, many other programs. But, I mean, they're, they're all very good. I recently um, started the Stanford course and found it to be very jumbled and confusing. Um, is, that the one I, on the, is that the one on iTunes University? Right, iTunes U. And, and people get a lot out of that, and I'm sure that it can be useful. But for, for, the, for someone starting out with the language, I really don't recommend it. Um, it's kind of like diving into the deep end of the pool. And I think you know, if you're going to learn a spoken language, <laughs> that might be a good thing. But that's not the way you want to learn a programming language. Um, the lynda.com uh, tutorials is I, the best resource I've found to start learning the language. And... You know, I still do Linda all the time, 10 years later. That's how I learned Flash, um, etc. Et, et but And then secondarily to that, find a mentor. Because these video courses, and there are others, I haven't really tried many of the other ones. I'm sure there's other good ones too. But um, these video courses are one way. And you can get a lot out of that. But what happens when you have a question that's not answered in the video? What happens when you want to understand more of the esoteric, um, you know, elements of code? Like, how should I set up the structure of my application 
you know, should I try a design pattern, you know, what have you, um, how should I think about, you know, coding, um, a mentor really can help you with that. And actually it provides some sociality, you know, cause we, we get kind of stuck behind our computers. Um, but having someone who's smarter than you and what you're doing is always really helpful and important. Well, certainly I'll uh, put in the show notes uh, on my website the links that you refer to there and, and also perhaps when you do have the mentor service that you mentioned that you're thinking about, you know, when it does come out, I could put a link to that as well. I mean, it sounds, sounds really exciting. But what, what personal habits do you have when you're uh, working on apps? What, what can you recommend to anyone in terms of a personal habit that would be good to get into? Oh, yeah. That's a good question. Schedule. Schedule is the habit. And by schedule, I mean put yourself in the position to do the work that you want to do physically and in terms of your actual calendar. So I have, you know, home office set up. I've got three computer monitors on my desk. I've got my computer set up and it's just dedicated to coding. Um, and I actually schedule myself. I've, I've created time blocks um, that I call maker time, administrator time, and inventor time. And, um, you know, I have, I have blocks of time that are, that are set up for, you know, building stuff. And I have another block of time that's set up for, for dealing with bills and all this stuff. And I structure my own work day um, with my calendar. And I set appointments with people in my calendar. If you don't do that, time just gets amorphous and it just goes away and you don't even realize where it went. Um, so that, that would be like the, the primary one. Um, and then second to that would be just continue learning and applying. Learning and applying is the core skill of, of being a developer. What's the best advice you've ever received, Aaron? Take what you love to do and search around for someone who has a real need that they know they want to fulfill and, and, and try to find where those match and go from there. In other words, it's not just what you want to be or do, and it's not just fulfilling somebody else's need, but I think the real sweet spot is where those can overlap. I guess that would be my best advice. Good advice. And finally... Before we say goodbye, I've got a, an interesting question for you. People perhaps listening to this may be at the point of their app journey where you were several years ago. So if you had an opportunity to sit down and have dinner with yourself of, say, 10 years ago, when you were just starting out, before you'd written the book, what, what would you say to yourself? Save your money. <laughs> because when you get started and if you kind of hit it a little bit like I kind of hit it with the agencies and you and others have hit it with apps you start to think that's how life is going to be forever but it's probably not and even if it is you'll be much happier if you save a good chunk of the additional money that you're now making because you're in a higher bracket save your money and try to keep your your lifestyle um, modest until you're you know you're in a real position of power 
that's t t terrific advice for anybody because we have to sustain ourselves through this app journey and you're right that well i've spoken to app developers where they can have an app that is is uh, phenomenally successful one month and then dies has a big long tail and dies off uh, the next month and uh, it's quite a fickle business but uh, before we say goodbye is there anything that you feel that you've missed that you'd like to share with the audience I don't think so. I'm really appreciative of you and what you're doing here. This is quite a service you're doing to the community, and I think you're quite a, a great interviewer. So thank you for the time. Well, thank you. Thank you, Aaron. So how do we get in touch with you? How, how do people contact you, connect with you? Um, I'm going to put the show notes up, uh, which would have links to your LinkedIn, but what, what are the best ways of connecting with you? Yeah, I'd say LinkedIn or just send me an email, um, Aaron, A-A-R-O-N, at the T H E code C O D E builders B U I L D E R S dot com. And I, I reply to people, so don't don't hesitate to send me an email. That's wonderful. Thank you. So I've thoroughly enjoyed this. You've uh, inspired me to certainly go and network harder on the, uh, pl the platform LinkedIn and to also feel and treat people like it's relationship building rather than just networking or sending out emails that there are people on the other end of these you know these emails that have the potential to deliver some really interesting uh, projects and it's not just big corporations they are people and, and certainly also i've learned that it's important to build up a track record uh, just to be inspired to do it and uh, i've i've got so many other questions perhaps I, I've, I've missed and maybe i can have another chat with you at some time in the future aaron and um you know, when we we can get you back on the, the podcast. Absolutely. Yeah, and I just enjoy talking with you in general. So let's stay in touch. Great. Okay, Aaron. Well, thank you very much for that. And it's just leave it for me now to say goodbye. And I uh, appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you, Aaron. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Stay tuned for the next episode. And if you do have any ideas on who we should interview, please send that email to info at onemob.com. That's info at o-n-e-m-o-b dot com. 